Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Aren't you glad nothing is greater than the great I am? And you may not have been there yet, but uh, no sin, no stain, no guilt, no shame, no grave greater than the great I am. Just remain standing just for a moment. I want to read one verse with you. We're starting a new series today called Perspectives. And I've been gone for the last two Sundays, and I appreciate everybody uh, keeping shop while I've been gone. Carrie and I, on our bucket list, we wanted to go to uh, the Grand Canyon in Hoover Dam. And so, the closest uh, hotel room we could find at that time was in Gallup, New Mexico. So we went to the Grand Canyon via Las Vegas. <laughs> so what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? I'd make a good movie, via Las, Viva Las Vegas, right? Elvis Presley. Some of you don't have a clue what I just said. But anyway, uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah. We're going to do two verses there. And uh, I'd like for you, if you could, repeat this after me after I read it. This is chapter 42, verse 18. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Could we read that together? Lift up your voice. Here we go. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Now let's read it again. Hear you deaf, look you blind that you may see. Now he's not talking to people who are deaf and blind. He's talking to someone and he's talking to an entire nation who have eyes but they cannot see and they have ears and they cannot hear. So we need to have the right perspective that we can see things that other people can't see. Pray with me. Father, we're so grateful to be here today. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your goodness. And Lord, our eyes are open, our ears are open to what your word says. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. About a month ago, we hosted a conference here at the church. And on Wednesday night, as that conference was wrapping up, we were back in the fellowship hall. And as we do on Wednesday nights, we were feeding everyone who comes to that early part of the service. And I was there sitting in the fellowship hall with two missionaries, uh, Don and Amy Crabtree, who are missionaries to Mexico. And uh, at the table not too far from me, Ryan and Stephanie were there. And their little girl, Cheyenne, came over to me. And she's very affectionate. She's almost five years old. And she came up to me and she hugged me. And she asked me this question. She says, are you old? <laughs> and I said to her, I said, um, do you think I'm old? And she said, you're kind of old. Now, everybody around me is having a big laugh about this conversation. And, and she looked at me. She said, you're kind of old. Now, she has my arm over here. And she says, you're kind of old, but you don't have that little floppy thing underneath your arm. <laughs> well, praise God for that. But how many of you know, if you're five years old, your perspective is anybody much older than you is old. If you're looking at a 30-year-old, old, 40 years old, old, you know, uh, 50 years old, really old, 60, I mean, you're just over the hill. I mean, it's the perspective of a five-year-old. How many of you can remember when you were in school, there were times you called your teacher old Mrs. So-and-so or old Mr. So-and-so. Now, this is what I found out. When I got out of school, I looked back on old Mr. So-and-so or old Mrs. So-and-so. They were about 30. 
or 40 or 50 and looking back, how many of you know that doesn't look so old, but it's your perspective. When I was uh, going into the fifth grade, we had heard stories in the third and fourth grade about some of our fifth grade teachers. And uh, it really began to allow you to pray for a couple of years because there was a teacher in the fifth grade, Miss Thompson, who had a reputation. She was old school. And by old school, I mean if you were acting up, she would go by your desk and just get your ear and just give it a good twist. Or she would take your hand and stretch the palm of your hand out and take a ruler and whack your hand with the ruler. And if you were really bad, she would take you desk and all and just push you out in the hallway and make you sit in the hallway. Now, that's old school. And um, I was in her class and she had bought a brand new Buick Wildcat. They were manufactured in 1962 and they began to sell them in about 1963. She bought a brand new one. So being fifth grade boys, we began to call her Wildcat Thompson. Now understand, that wasn't to her face. We would say that under our breath or in conversations with the fifth grade uh, boys and we would call her Wildcat Thompson until one day in the hallway we were having this conversation about Wildcat Thompson and Brent, my friend, said and referred to her as Wildcat Thompson and did not know she was standing behind him. And so she said, Brent, why did you call me in his little fifth grade quivering voice? He said, Wildcat. <laughs> so she marched him down to the uh, broom closet, janitor's closet. That's where you got a busting there in those days. And she worked Brent over a little bit. Now, in the first service this morning, and I know it's uh, fall break and a lot of our people are gone, but there was a gentleman in the service today said the only Busting, the only time I had uh, uh, the Board of Education applied to me was in her class in the fifth grade. So there were people resonating with this sermon this morning in that early service. But do you realize it's just perspective? Because I thought she was older than dirt. And she didn't die until many, many years later. It's all perspective. In Isaiah chapter 6, here's a verse you're very familiar with. And in this verse, uh, it is the, the ending of a conversation and an event that Isaiah is having. Most of you know, chapter 6 begins, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He's high lifted up. His train filled the temple. I mean, the pillars shook. It's almost like the foundations are, are, are quivering at the voice of Almighty God. And Isaiah is having a moment with God and he says woe is me and God asked the question who will go for us and Isaiah responds and he says I will go send me I will send me and this is the message this is the message that God sent Isaiah with verse 9 and he said go and say to this people keep on hearing but don't understand keep on seeing but do not perceive make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, now listen, we're not talking about people who can't see and can't hear, but yet, in the time that God gives us to Isaiah, they're fixing to go into captivity for 70 long years. They have turned from God. They have turned to idols. They have turned to their own inventions. They've turned to their own fields and their businesses and their enterprises, and they left God out. And listen, it never happens suddenly. It's always incrementally. You don't wake up one day and say, I'm not going to be faithful to God. I'm not going to serve God. Listen, God's old 
history here. I'm not going to serve God. It happens bit by bit, little by little, chapter by chapter, until one way you, you, you wake up and you're far from God. And the whole nation had turned from God. And, and God says, Isaiah, I want you to go tell them they have ears, but they're not hearing. They have eyes, but they're not seeing what's coming on the horizon. And they're not hearing my voice. And they're not seeing my ways. And Isaiah is sent with that message. And sometimes I think He's saying to us, I am I'm speaking, but you don't hear, and I'm, I'm showing you, but you don't see. You're not understanding. We've tagged this series with the line, what you see, what you think you see, and what you don't see. How many of you know, sometimes we think we see something, but we're not really seeing what we should see, and sometimes we're not even seeing it all. And God has to speak to us. Are there things that you and I need to see through the eyes of faith? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. Are there things that we have the wrong perception about? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. You see, you have to watch it and I have to watch it. Our perception could be off or wrong. When I was in my 40s, I began to notice I couldn't see things far off like I used to see them. Anybody identify with that? And this was the real key for me is I would look for a street sign, not, not the interstate signs, I could still see those, but, but the street signs, the little green ones on the pole, and I would look for, you know, this street and that street, looking for First Street, Second Street, Maple Street, Park Street, and by the time I could read the sign, I'm already past the point to turn. And so I'm making this trip around the block to get to my street. And finally I said, you know, I've got to do something about that. So I go, get my eyes checked, and my farsight is really uh, compromised. So I, I got glasses. So they said, your glasses be ready in about a week. I go back, I get my glasses. And, and listen, I had a moment when I walked outside the optometrist and I looked around and everything was so clear. I thought, Wow. I can actually turn the right street now. And listen, that sight didn't get bad one day, and then the next day I got glasses. It was a period of time my sight began to degenerate, get worse and worse and worse, until finally I said, I've got to do something about that. Now, when I got in my 50s and early 60s, I realized not only is my far sight not good, my near sight's not good anymore either. So, have you ever done this? Now, the first service really responded to this. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You're holding it out there? And, and so I go back, and they said, Mike, you know, your, your nearsight is now compromised, and you need to get these things we call bifocals. And so when I'm up here preaching, I usually have bifocals on, and that first week of bifocals, I, I walk like this. <laughs> okay. And when I'm trying to come up the steps, I'm making sure that I don't fall down the steps. Now, I'm better now, but listen, that first week it was horrible. Now, that didn't happen all at once. It was a process that my vision began to deteriorate. What I know about you and me, if we don't watch it, our spiritual perspective and our spiritual vision, if we don't keep it sharp and keen, can begin to be compromised. And this is something that we have to really look at, not only with us individually, us as a church, our world. And so we have to have sometimes that correction of vision, correction of lenses as far as we are seeing. I'm wondering in asking the question, are there things in our life we're looking at in a worldly, humanistic perspective when God God says, don't look at it that way.
Are we at the place when we just see the physical world and we're not really seeing what we should see outside that physical dimension? And I don't think you can correct that by yourself. And I don't think I can correct that by myself. I think Jesus needs to help me with that. And I think Jesus needs to help you with that. Matter of fact, he said he would have to help us with this, and it's found in Luke chapter 4. Do you remember when Jesus stood up, and this is kind of the beginning of his ministry, and in the synagogue, it was his day to read scripture. So he takes the scroll, the rabbi hands him the scroll, and the passage he reads is from the Old Testament, obviously, in Isaiah, and he begins to read this, and this is verse 18, Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised or oppressed. So here in this verse, notice this, the recovering of sight to the blind. Say that with me. The recovering of sight to the blind. Did Jesus physically heal blind people? The answer is absolutely yes. Remember John chapter 9? There's a guy, he's sitting there probably begging and he has never seen and Jesus and the disciples walk by, and here's the question really initiated by the disciples. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Hey, there's still this uh, prevailing view out there. If you ever get sick, you must be a sinner. You know, if you've got an issue, you must have sinned. What did you do? Sometimes that can be true, but not always. And so Jesus said, neither one, but for the glory of God to be shown here. So Jesus does something spectacular. He spits on the ground. He takes mud and makes clay and anoints the man's eyes with the clay and the mud and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, folks, we've been near the pool of Siloam, and it's not easy to get to. You have to kind of go down to the pool. So here the blind guy is making his way through the streets of the city, finding the pool of Siloam, trying to get down. But when he washed his eyes and the mud and the clay came off, he came up seeing. Miracle. We know at least two people were healed outside of Jericho. Remember Jesus going through Jericho? One of the men is named Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. And remember when Jesus walked by, that Bartimaeus cried out. He said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus said, what can I do for you? He said, that I might receive my sight. And he said, according to your faith, be it done unto you. So this guy actually received physical healing for his blindness. But listen, I'm really not talking so much about physical blindness, although that God can cure that. There are other types of blindness. I want to give you three today. We're only going to talk about one. But let me give you three today. If you have a pencil and paper, I want you to write this down. We can have a blindness to the unseen world around us. We can have a blindness to the unseen world around us. Secondly, we can have a blindness to the needs, the nature, and the condition of the people around us. Do you realize that sometimes you make judgment about people and you don't know the whole story? You don't have the perspective to judge them. You don't have the information to judge them. There are people going through things and you don't have the perspective to actually do what you need to do there. So God help us with that. The third thing is a blindness to ourself. A blindness to ourself. Other people see things about you. Other people can feel things about you. And sometimes we're, as Carrie says to me, we're acluistic. Can I interpret that for you? Mike, you don't have a clue. 
Sometimes in our own personal life, we see everything out here, but we don't see much in here. We have a wrong perspective about who we are, who we are in Christ. Sometimes our faults, our failures, our attitude, the, the vibes we're giving out to other people, a blindness to ourselves. So let's talk about the first one. About two weeks ago, Carrie and I were uh, back in the bedroom. We have a television in the bedroom. We have one in the, uh, the living room. And we're getting ready to go somewhere. And uh, the History Channel is on. Has anybody ever watched the History Channel? So we're watching an episode about Custer's Last Stand. And they believe that the Indians, after the defeat of Custer took some of the artifacts from that battle and hid them and there was an Indian cache somewhere where they deposited those things from that battle. So they interviewed both sides, people historically, people who wrote, uh, you know, papers and, and different things about the battle. They interviewed the, the Indian uh, uh, people who lived in that area that heard stories all their life from that battle. And so both people believed that there was possibly some kind of uh, cache where they deposited some of the things from that battle. It's pretty interesting. And they have their metal detectors. They're going up in the hills. They're going up, you know, in the plains and the caves. They're looking. They're looking. And how do you know? They don't find anything. You got to come back next week and watch the next episode, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So it's pretty interesting. We're watching that. So I leave and go do something else, and I come back in, and Carrie has switched the channels, and she's watching something else. And I thought, well, maybe something else about that would come on. Maybe the next episode. She said, no, I had to switch the channels. Because the next 30-minute uh, or hour episode was about the walls of Jericho and Joshua. And she said, they're trying to explain how the walls might have fallen down. And she said, it was so ridiculous, I had to change the channel. Now, you and I are looking at it in one perspective, and the world's looking at it in another perspective. So they're saying, wasn't an earthquake... Was it noise vibrations from the trumpets? I don't think they trumpeted that loud, okay? I mean, uh, you know, Al Hurt and, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of people who play the trumpet and um, I, I just don't think they brought the house down with the trumpet. Was it alien technology? <laughs> Folks, there are people glued to the History Channel trying to explain the walls of Jericho coming down, and you and I, we're laughing at it. Let me tell you why. The world has one perspective. You and I have an entirely different perspective. They're looking at it in the natural. We're looking at it in the supernatural. Now, I brought something with me today, and I want to read this to you because I thought it was interesting. This didn't have a whole lot to do with the sermon, but you will, you will leave with something. This is from the New York Times, the spiritual publication, the New York Times. This is 1990, and this is an actual article that I pulled out of the paper. Believers score a battle over the Battle of Jericho. After years of doubt among archaeologists, a new analysis of the excavations has yielded a, a wide range of evidence supporting the biblical account of the fall of Jericho. It may well be true that in the words of the old spiritual, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. 
A study of ceramic remnants, royal scarabs, carbon dating 14, dating uh, seismic activity in the region, and even some ruins of tumbled walls produce what is called an impressive evidence of that fortified city that was destroyed in the late Bronze Age, about 1400 BC. The prevailing view among scholars had been the city was destroyed 150 years earlier and did not even exist at the time of Joshua and the Israelite invasion, which is believed to have occurred no earlier than 1400 BC. When we compare the archaeological evidence at Jericho with the biblical narrative describing the Israelite destruction of Jericho, we find a great remarkable agreement, says Dr. Brian G. Wood, archaeologist at the University of Toronto. He wrote about this. Other evidence ex examined by Dr. Wood seemed to bolster the case for the Joshua connection. As related in the Bible, the event occurred after the spring harvest, and the Israelites burned the city, burned stones, bricks, timbers were blackened from a citywide fire. The excavations also uncovered large quantities of grain stored in the ground, floors of houses indicating the city fell shortly after spring harvest. The presence of those grain stores in the destroyed cities entirely consistent with the biblical account Dr. Wood wrote. The city did not fall as a result of starvation through a siege as was common in ancient times. Instead, the Bible tells us Jericho was destroyed in seven days, and that's what the archaeological evidence says. Isn't that amazing? But you know, I didn't need the New York, New York Times to tell me that, did you? I, I kind of already read about that, and I believe that. You know why? I have a different perspective. They're looking at it the natural. You and I are looking at it what? In the supernatural. You see, God can do whatever he wants to do because he's a supernatural God. He's a healing God. He's a miracle-working God. He's the mighty God, and there is no greater than than the great I am, right? There is other accounts in the Bible that talks about this perspective that we have. Let me give you one that is probably the most uh, prominent that you already know. When the Syrians would come down to attack Israel, they wanted to take the entire nation. And they would attack, but something unusual happened. Every time they would attack, the Israeli army would be there at the point they would attack. So that they think, okay, let's re-strategize. Let's get in the war room, get the generals together. Let's get the king together, King Hadad. Let's get big King Ben-Hadad there. Let's come up with some strategies. So they said, well, let, let's change our strategy. Let's attack in this region. But when they would get there, guess who would be there? The army would be there to repel them. So they would say, okay, let, let's, let's go back to the drawing board. They would go to another location to invade, and guess who would be there? The army of Israel would be there. And they said, there must be a spy among us. There is no way that the Israelites know everywhere we're going to attack. And in the back of the room, some guy holds his hand up. This is what he says. Let me tell you the problem here. There is a prophet of God in Israel. His name is Elisha. And God tells him every time we're going to invade the country, he goes tells the king, the king brings his army, and they're there every time we attack. So they change strategy. So here's the strategy. We're not going to go after the kingdom now. We're going to go after one guy. I mean, the... the the fuse is burning, mission impossible, music is playing in the background. And so they come up with the strategy, we're going to come after one guy, and the one guy, Elisha, is in the city of Dothan. 
And he's there with his servant. And one morning, the Bible says the servant got up early. He goes outside, and what he sees makes his heart skip a beat. The entire city is surrounding, is surrounded by, there's the surrounding the city by the Syrian army. Horses, men, chariots. We're not talking about three or four. We're talking about the whole city is surrounded by the Syrian army. And they're after one guy, and his name is Elisha. And the servant goes back in, and he says, Boss, we're in trouble. <laughs> now, he doesn't say that, but that, that's Mike's you know, interpretation. He, he goes in, he says, we're in trouble. He says, you need to come out here and see this. So Elisha goes out with the servant, and he sees the entire Syrian army circling the city where they're at, and he realizes they're, they're there for him. Now, this is in chapter 6 of 2 Kings, and I want to just refer to the verses there, verse 15, and when the servant of God arose, he saw the army surrounding the city, and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What shall we do? And, and I, I think if I was the servant, said, They're not after me, they're after you. <laughs> it's kind of like the story I heard about Lone Ranger and Tonto, where... Lone Ranger says, we're surrounded by Indians. What are we going to do? He said, I don't know what you're going to do, white man. Uh, so they're in trouble. Some of you get that when you go home. And so Elisha comes out, and this is what he says. Do not fear, for those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha and the servant. You know what? Whenever you think the enemy's got you trapped, God has your enemy trapped. Whenever you think the enemy's going to overcome you, God is going to overcome the enemy. But sometimes we can't see it. And the reason we can't see it is we don't have the right perception. You see, the servant had one perception. Elisha had another perception. He could see things that the other one could not see. Could it be there are times in our life that we're blinded to the spiritual world around us when all the time there's activity that we don't see? Good and bad. Because we war against principalities and powers that we cannot see with the natural eye. But yet God is moving in that unseen world. I want to give you three things today that will help us to see beyond this material world. Here's number one. You and I have to realize and become aware that there is something more than what we see. You, you do realize there is something more than what we see. It's interesting to me that scientists today says there is this force in our universe called dark matter. How many have ever heard of dark matter? Here's the deal. You can't see it, but they know there is an effect of dark matter in our world, in our universe, but it's unseen. Wow, what a revelation. What a revelation. There is an unseen world beyond our physical sight. Now, faith is... The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is the evidence of things unseen. Folks, faith is all about what you can't see. Faith is about the unseen world. We have to realize, number one, there is an unseen world that you and I are operating in every day. 
So just the knowledge of that, just the, the awareness of that, you're a step ahead of everybody else. The world has a, they have a term for it. It's a horrible term, but it's the term the world uses. How many of you have ever heard the term the third eye? You ever heard that, the third eye? So spiritualists, uh, some religionists, uh, you know, some soothsayers say you need to get your third eye. What does that mean? You have two eyes that you can see the physical. You have the third eye you can see that which is spiritual or wh whatever, you know, you're trying to look at out there in the dark world. Listen, we don't need the third eye. We just need the eyes of the spirit. So you and I have to realize there is an unseen world out there that you and I have to have the right perspective of. Here's the second thing. We have to see through the eye of the word. We have to see through the eye of the word. You and I have to have this perspective of the eye of the word. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might see. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. What's the, the law? The law is the word. I want to tell you something. Ever since I got saved, I have a different perspective. I have a different perspective about politics. I have a different perspective about social issues. I have a different perspective about marital issues. I have a different perspective about myself and about you and about heaven and about hell. And let me tell you, my perspective changed when I began to get in the Word of God because I had a one-dimensional perspective and it was just what I could see and know in my physical self. So therefore, my perspective had to change. The Word opens up our worldview. The world opens up our thinking beyond this world. We perceive different because of the Word of God. Here's the last one. We see through the eyes of the Spirit. Not only do we see through the eyes of the Word, but we also see through the eyes of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us insight we cannot have in the natural. It brings us into supernatural perspectives. You can sense things, know things, see things in the spirit you cannot see with your natural eyes. And if there was ever a time we individually and as a church needed to have that, honey, let me tell you, today's a good day to have it. Because there's things happening in our world that you will hear the news, you will see in politics, and there's something unseen behind so much of that that we need to see and perceive. Can I hear an amen? Y'all getting anything out of this this morning? Why can't other people see these things? Well, the Bible says, and let me give you the verse here. It's in Ephesians. I didn't quote it a moment ago. I thought it was going to run out of time. Let me go back to it. In Ephesians 4.18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding because they're alienated from their life of God and the ignorance is in them is due to the hardness of their heart. Why can't the world see what you and I see? Because their hearts are hardened because they've rejected God. They've rejected God, therefore their hearts are hardened, and they cannot see. They just can't see it. They can't see issues like our sexuality, abortion. They, they can't see different political views. Why are they thinking and seeing that? And the Bible tells us why. Their hearts are hardened, and they can't see or understand because they've rejected God. And when you reject God, your perspective is totally off kilter. I may do this next week. 
if I can pull it off. Do you ever play wiffle ball? Yeah. And you got a plastic ball that's got all these holes in it? And you get a plastic bat. We used to do it in college. We, I mean, we, we loved to go do that. We'd go to the park. We'd get a big group of guys and girls. We'd go play wiffle ball. And I mean, we'd have a big time. And l- let me give you a little different view of this. If you take a lead weight and tape it to the inside of that wiffle ball, you can throw the most wicked curve that you could ever throw. You get that wiffle ball weighted on one side. You get it out off a kilter. You can throw that thing, and I'm going to tell you that baby will do weird things as you're trying to hit it. How many of you know some people that's got a lead weight stuck on one side of their brain? I mean, you, th- you think, what are they thinking? How do they have that view? How do they have that perspective? Because they're eyes are dimmed and the God of this world has blinded their eyes according to scripture. So therefore, you and I have to have a different perspective about the unseen world, about the people around us, and about us ourselves. We'll talk about these things later, but I'm going to tell you, we need to see through the eyes of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, this is Paul praying for you and me and the church. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called to, what is the riches of his glory, the inheritance of the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, in verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know. Say that with me. Here we go. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Let's say it again. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Do you know you have eyes in your heart? You say, well, I, I, I didn't know that. There's some things that you cannot see with natural eyes. Paul says you have to have eyes in your heart. And look at the verse before this. He said that he may give you the spirit that you may have wisdom and understanding to see with the eyes of your heart. God, help us to have eyes in our heart that you and I can have a totally different perspective about things. Do you realize that if you're married, there are two perspectives sometimes in your house? Crickets are cricketing in the background. But if I can have a different perspective, I have a different understanding about the other side. And if your spouse can have a different perspective, they they have a different perspective about your side. If we don't watch it, all we see is our side. We just see with our eyes, our, our natural abilities. We act out of emotions. We act out of feelings. We don't see through the eyes of the spirit or the word or the unseen world out there. Are you seeing obstacles? Are you seeing opportunities? Perspective. Are you seeing trouble? Are you seeing opportunities for transformation? Perspective. You see, when the 12 spies went out, two perspectives, 24 eyeballs. You see, Joshua and Caleb, they saw one perspective. We're able to do this because God's going to be with us. The other perspective was, there's no way we can do this. They saw the same exact things. Two perspectives. You can believe your best days are over. 
one perspective, or you can believe we've just begun. The other day, Matt had preached a sermon, and I got to hear a little bit of it, and he talked about big God and moments. Some people in church, and please your attention, they're looking for the moment. Give me the God bumps. Give me the chill. Give me the culture. Give me the cool. Give me the moment. Listen, nothing wrong with moments. We're on a mission. The mission is bigger than the moment. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Those that endure to the end shall be saved. Listen, I'm not in this for the coolness. I'm in this for the finish line. I'm in this to say this is a mission. This is not just a sprint. This is not just a moment. Moments are good. We need them. We should have them. But this is more than a moment. It is a mission. And you and I have to have that perspective. And if we don't have that perspective, we'll just live for the moment and we will not live for the mission. Perspectives. 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 Put on the lens of the word. When I take this off, you're beautiful, but you're fuzzy. You're fuzzy beautiful. That's better than being fuzzy ugly. But when I put these on, there's clarity about you. When I put on the lens of the word, I see things different than before I knew the word. When I put on the lens of the Holy Spirit, I see things differently than before I was filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you know what I'm saying? God help us to have the right perspective as we move forward. We'll talk about this again next Sunday. Stand with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.